Hey, hey, good morning, everyone. We are here back in business with the Mikey D, the Diamond and Dave. Here we are on Office Hours, early edition. I've been filming two-minute drill, and, uh, you know, it's been quite a process. It's nice to see you because I haven't had any feedback from anyone that hasn't seen me since Portugal, Newark, Detroit, Lexington, <laughs> Dallas, home, and then filming four episodes a day. And four, I had five podcasts yesterday and four episodes. Uh, and like, I looked at the people that work for me and like the minute I sat down, they all like swarmed on me, Mike. And I literally said, you know, kind of snappy, you know, hey, can you give me a minute? Like, can someone just say, hey, is this a good time? And uh, they kind of looked at me and said, you know, we just kind of assume you're a machine. Like, we, we've never seen you, you know, hit, hit the limit. So I hit the limit. Anyway, we're, we're excited to get going here. We'll bring the incredible Bill on here. He's all ready to go. Uh, Bill Pito, most of you know, he's a studio host, MSG Network in New York. Uh, old time ESPN guy who I really enjoy watching. Uh, and listening to, by the way, I'm a, I'm a voice guy because you can look at my face. Bill, welcome <laughs> to Office Hours. Thank you guys for having me. What's happening? Hey, man, you are a perfect guy <clears throat> to come on here. You know, I had Rome. I went on his new podcast and I'm going to have him on mine, uh, but got into, you know, the business of sports um, and some of your friends like Sage Steele and, and many others, Marcellus, I've worked with for years, but I don't think a lot of kids have an idea how to get into the business of sports. And I love your perspective on sports in general, but how to get into the business of sports that you don't necessarily have to be GM, like a Tannenbaum in order to enjoy a career in sports. And that's never more true than today because of content. What type of advice do you give kids today that say, Hey, I want to work in sports. So this is a perfect uh, spot for me to plug a book that I contributed to. It's called Where They Were Then, Me, Van Pelt, Wingo, uh, John Butchergross. Scott Reese is the coordinator of the whole thing. It just came out. It's all about our struggles in small market TV and how we got out of small market TV. So the moral of those stories, and I advise and hope everybody can go to Amazon and buy the book is that there's no script for what we do. If I go to medical school, I'm a doctor. If I go to law school, I'm a lawyer. I can sit here, Dave, and I can talk for four hours about what I did and it might not apply to anybody else. I love that. And I always tell people when they ask me that question, I said, if you connected the dots backwards uh, in my sports career, you know, going to law school to be an oil and gas litigator, working in the internet, being Samsung CEO, and then somehow running into Lee Steinberg, who wants to get into technology of sports. And, you know, there's a million Jewish lawyers that want to work as a sports agent. But because I was CEO of Samsung's phone division, he hires me to take Jeff Morad's spot in sports. You couldn't write that script. And so what do we do? Sorry to butt in, Mikey, and cut off your question. But so what do we do to help kids prepare themselves so that they have options in order to take advantage like you had and Wingo had and, you know, all the great Van Pelt, whoever had taken advantage of, and Sage, by the way, I mean, Sage was kicked off of the air, told she would be horrible uh, in Indiana. I remember her story. Uh, you know, how do we encourage kids to keep their options open and work and what should they work on in order to, to do that? Okay. So it's a totally subjective business. It's like being an actor. So 
to me, practical experience is the most important thing. So um, for me, I know I got involved uh, getting on the air in college at Cornell right away. Anybody that uh, solicits my advice, I say this is a practical business. You don't pick it up in the classroom. Just because you can read a book or write a paper doesn't mean that you can perform. This is a performance business. The only way to improve one's performance and to perfect one's craft is to actually do it. So I tell kids, wherever it is, even if it's in your basement, turn on the mic and just talk and practice. If you're in college, get on the college radio station right away. If you can call games, start calling games right away. Uh, therefore, you will have hopefully some type of base that when you need to try and get a job, and there is no magic bullet for getting a job. It's all about the person that you get in front of likes your work and wants to hire you, but you have to be able to present something to that person. So the best way to do that is to get experience at the earliest possible time. So I have a question. Did you go to Cornell? Believe it or not, I did. <laughs> right. So you said you don't need the degree, and this is where kids get a mix up. I don't have a degree, but I went to acting school and did other things and got certified, and I'm an interventionist, work with celebrities, get people sober. When you talk about your craft, right, so you're down there in the basement and you're doing this craft work to improve your skills and that. Where people, can you explain, because this is where people fail. Like, where's an actor, you get a show reel. We're lucky now, we have the internet, you can put up YouTube videos. What's the next step for someone when they're presenting it? Because okay, that's where so, people get stuck. You know what I'm saying? Because they're like, yeah. I've got, I've, I've learned some stuff. I've got some hours. I've interviewed a bunch of people. But my podcast, I don't know how to interview. I don't know how to get in front of people. What do they do next? So you have to have a reel. Uh, for me, when I came out of Cornell, I had a resume tape. And when I uh, graduated, I, that's a, it's an archaic thing to say. I put those resume tapes in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and when I was in Binghamton, I kept updating my tape and I was so often at the post office that the guys at the post office said, Bill, where are the tapes going today? <laughs> it's complete persistence about getting the material out so that you increase the randomness of the fact that someone will look at it. It's brilliant. So many options for the people doing the hiring the best way is to have a connection at the place doing the hiring or with the person doing the hiring. And then that person can look at your reel. Now, now it's a lot easier because you can send it out via email. But think about when you're doing the hiring for these positions, you can you have a thousand applicants. So the best way to do it is to hopefully you have a connection or someone puts you in touch with someone who knows someone doing the hiring. They look at your material and that puts you to the front of the line. They have to like what they see. But the most important thing is to have something for people to see. You know, it's amazing you say that. My business partner, Warren Moon, who most people don't know, had to break in when he was in junior college because the Pac-8 wouldn't let him play quarterback. And he was convinced he was one of the best quarterbacks in the world when he was 18 years old. So he breaks into the training room, steals his own film because his, he won the state championship in California. The coach didn't want to lose him. He wanted him for a second year. So he broke into the training room, stole the film, and had to send out the film to Washington uh, and to the other schools in the Pac-8. Uh, but today I tell him all the time, I said, dude, you could have just been posting your highlights on YouTube and everybody in the country would have wanted you. Somebody would have taken you back. And we, ha we have to show that because I think beyond emailing it out, just the ability to post and go live and do all the access to content and the access to guests are incredible 
if they have the one thing you have, Bill, uh, which I, I respect, um, it's a desire that you must be what you can be. Uh, Dan Patrick, for example, he knew like you that he wanted uh, to be a sportscaster. He's actually, uh, and I'm sure he's popular at University of Dayton when he was, people couldn't leave a fraternity party unless they could answer his trivia questions in sports. And I go, oh, that must have been popular with the ladies, buddy. But you talk about, you know, how you always knew what you wanted to be. What do you tell kids that, you know, don't really have that burning desire that they must be what they can be? Do do they still have a chance when, when you don't have that laser focus and that desire that you had? Well, I, I would say, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Scott Galloway. He's the uh, the guy at NYU Business School who has this great saying, uh, if you follow what you're passionate about, there are too many people that do that. You should follow what you're good at so you can make some money. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's all me, baby. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody wants to be a sportscaster. It's very hard to make money as a sportscaster, but if you can figure out how to make widgets and you're good at that, you could m- maybe make a ton of money making widgets. Um, I, 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 it's hard to say in terms of uh, direction for people that aren't interested in, in a specific field. I, I don't know what, to, I don't know how you would do that. Despite what Galloway says, I knew that I wanted to do what I was able to pursue. My one thing for young people who want media careers now is I don't know what the track is. In the late 80s, it was, okay, get a job at a small market affiliate and work your way up. And then all of a sudden, all the people, Dave, that you're familiar with and, and Mike are uh, beneficiaries of the explosion in cable sports. ESPN, two for me. And as we've gone on, NFL Network, NBA TV, NHL Network, all the regional sports channels. So those are the people who have been at it, like me, have really benefited from this incredible explosion in cable TV sports that opened the field up to many of us. Now, I don't know what the track is. Do you get a YouTube channel? I don't know. Do you do a podcast? Yeah, but who's going to see it? Can you make any money at it? So I got to be honest with you guys. If I talk to young people that aspire to be sportscasters or news people now, I don't know what the track is. Wow. So, Bill, I have a question because a lot of people think you've just, because you went to Cornell, you probably just fell into this stuff. You obviously faced some adversity. You know, ESPN2, you got into ESPN2, but it probably was, it wasn't just like, oh, this is going to be easy. So can you talk about some of the adversity and challenges you faced, you know, coming along the way, even though you knew what you wanted to do? Yeah, there have been to, uh, some people you guys talk to may have clear paths. I've had a lot of potholes. Um, uh, first of all, when you start, even when you're, on the air in a place like Binghamton, you, there's a, a tremendous need to get out of there because you're making $6 an hour with your Ivy League degree and all your roommates are like in medical school or law school. It's like, okay, uh, Dad says, Bill, like, what's going on there? So there's inherent pressure to move on. Any job that you get, I don't care who you are, is like a mini miracle because there's even back in my, and when I was going through this in the early 90s, I got to Syracuse after two years. In 1990, there was a company called the Mislu Sports News Network that um, was a 24-hour sports channel ahead of its time before ESPN News. And these people were so ahead of the curve, but we just didn't have the funding. And I got a job there after badgering the guy doing the hiring, like every day, finally getting an interview. Uh, It was a place where Kurt Menefee started. It was a place where Terry Chick and Kerry Ross came to from CNN and ESPN. Um, we had a lot of young people there. It was 24 hour sports news. Now you say, Oh, what's the big deal in 1990? It was, 
this completely new concept. And we went out of business in 10 months. So I was in Hackensack, 24 years old and unemployed on the unemployment line with my Ivy League degree. I went to Boston and you talk about connections. One of the executives from that sports channel uh, went to Boston and hired me at the 24 hour regional news channel, which is another thing that we've all benefited from are these 24 hour news channels that have cropped up over the years. Uh, I was there and then I got an audition uh, to work on ESPN two. Uh, my agent was Keith Oberman's agent. She got me in the door. Uh, actually, it was a sports center audition, and they didn't hire me. They hired Carl Ravitch, who I had worked with in Binghamton and lived with in Binghamton. They took Carl over me. I almost jumped off a cliff, go back to Boston, and then they hired me four months later for ESPN uh, 2. Um, and the dog is getting sick at this story, too. because <laughs> this is a good story. <laughs> but I also need to point out that in the middle of that, I, I auditioned for ESPN Radio and bombed the audition to the point that the guys, uh, the, the hiring people, told my agent, this guy can't even do radio. How are we going to even give him a shot on the TV? And somehow I got in there for the audition for SportsCenter, and they took Ravitch, uh, and then thankfully uh, I got in, and I was there for 15 years, and then they, my contract didn't get renewed. Um, so then I was very fortunate. The executive at MSG was a hockey guy, knew my work from uh, NHL tonight and hired me. When you're at ESPN, uh, you guys probably sound like you, you've talked to some guys. There's a lot of adversity within that structure because there's so many people competing for a uh, very few amount of spots. And one thing that people may not realize is that at ESPN, there's a core group of people that they like. And if you're not in that core group, it can be a real struggle. It's like trying to become a partner in a law firm. If you don't become a partner, you you kind of get sent out. Uh, and while I had a great run there, I never got to that upper echelon group. So long story short, uh, there's been a lot of bumps after ESPN didn't renew me. I had two daughters. I actually studied to be a life insurance salesman. <laughs> that that was a sobering. Thankfully, MSG hired me shortly after that. So that's uh, a little bit of a, my story, and uh, it has not been a straight path for sure. Well, we, we appreciate uh, your humility and illuminating how difficult it is, but also the practical advice. I think too many people romanticize uh, the business of sports, the jobs in sports, the career in sports, uh, you know, being involved with Jerry Maguire early on. I always laugh when people say, that's my favorite sports film. I said, it's a love story, dude, with a, a sports backdrop. Uh, business can have a sports background, but it's still skills, knowledge and desire. And Bill, I've watched you <clears throat> since 93 on ESPN2, uh, so I'm getting old. It's been, you know, sadly enough, it's going to be almost 30 years that I've seen that face and voice of yours. I can't, I can't believe it's been that long. Can you? <laughs> it's amazing, but you are amazing at what you do. And I, I do have a joke about Disney and ESPN. I always say it's the only place uh, as I've gone through the rigor in the car washes uh, there that seems to care more about the stage and the scenery uh, than to do the people sometimes. And, uh, you know, they're, they're more worried about the award-winning set than they are about the killer skill uh, that they've hired. And there's some great people over there as at MSG as well. So uh, congratulations on what you're doing now. Thank you for always giving back. Uh, let's give another pitch out for that book because I want a lot of kids to go buy that book and their parents so they can get the proper perspective from the leaders in sports casting. Yeah, it's called uh, Where They Were Then. Um... Scott Reese, a former anchor, kind of is the uh, former ESPN anchor, is kind of the guy that put it all together in terms of getting all of us to contribute a chapter. 
I contributed Wingo, Van Pelt, Butcher Gross, Heidi Watney from MLB Network, Andy Katz. Um, so go for it. Go buy the book. It'll give you a great uh, behind the scenes of what it's like to start off in small market television. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you so much, Bill. Come back on. Bill Pito. Thank you, guys. Network. Have nice a great to be morning. on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. All right. We're rocking and awesome. rolling. Good to be back, Mikey D. Yeah, I'm glad I asked him that question about adversity because a lot of people think, oh, this guy was on ESPN too. He just skated through and they don't realize he's going to leave selling insurance at once. Yeah, that, that, was the, that was the line that wakes up kids. It's like, yeah, well, I thought about it selling insurance after 20-some years of being on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, very nice. What a great career. Uh, anyway, uh, we have our friend Angelique waiting in the wings here. Angelique Ruers. She is the founder and CEO of Bold House, and that's H-A-U-S.com, uh, boldhouse.com, um, and an obvious expert in small business. I believe small business not only is the cornerstone of the United States, but I believe small business will save the world. I, I'm a huge conservationist. I believe in sustainable practices only for one reason, believe it or not. Not that that's going to save the world. Uh, I think our consumption and our resources are far too short to, to save the world through conservation. But what it will do is it'll give enough time for small businesses to figure out how to, you know, convert the plastics in the oceans, the billions, and I mean billions of pounds of plastics in the ocean into something that's usable, sustainable, uh, and healthy. And that's what small businesses do. They're, they're more uh, than just a supply chain. Uh, they're the innovation that created this country. And so, uh, an expert like Angelique is so important to me, and I'd love to talk about building, scaling, marketing, uh, sales uh, to sustain and grow the, the cornerstone of our country. Angelique, my first question is, how did you get to be the fierce, fierce champion you are for small business? Well, first, good morning, you guys. I feel like I'm on Mike and Mike in the morning here. Feels totally like Mike and Mike in the morning over here. Um, you know, look, I worked with, in corporate with the dog. With, with the dog. Right, yeah, with the dog. Exactly. It, the whole the whole thing. Um, so you know, I came out of corporate. I spent 10 years in the Fortune 100 and uh, I was I was sort of in interesting roles. I was always working with the C-suite on various projects, initiatives, financial earnings, things of that nature, hired a ton of outside experts to come in, about three, four hundred different experts over 10 years, but didn't hire 3,000, 4,000 others who came in and, and pitched us on various things. And you learn a lot when you're sitting there week after week talking to outside experts who think they have the answer to, to all of your problems and, and how they show up. So after about a decade, I left and I started my own consulting company selling back to corporate. And I sort of reverse engineered my process for doing that based off of all of the eye rolling that went on for 10 years inside of corporate, kind of nailed that down uh, and then started teaching it to other experts. And you're absolutely right. I think the, I think the small business owners will probably save the world. Uh, you know, we have clients in almost every one of the Fortune 500. We have clients in higher ed, government agencies, mid-market companies, small enterprises. And they're often the voice at the table, David. They're the ones who are who are speaking that truth to power, saying, you know, this shit isn't going to cut it anymore. So, you know, that's, I think they really are going to make a big difference, but we have to get more small business owners at the table. That's That's really the first step. 
So you, you went from the frustration, the corporate stuff to obviously that you just were like, I got to change this. Now you've got twins, right? So you're facing <laughs> that adversity, which is crazy. How, yeah. First of all, congrats. How, how old are the babies? Boys, oh, no, girls? they're 12 now. No, no, my oh. kids are 12. I made it's, it through. Yeah, no, no, no. That, <laughs> that was the start like, part. Yeah, but I will tell you, you know, as a woman business owner who had twins, I nearly died. I had heart failure. They thought I was going to have to have a heart transplant after I had my babies. Um, and I kept working the whole time. And it, the reason I could keep working was because my business was financially successful at the time. So I was able to have a team. I was able to afford help. I think to the point that you made earlier about Scott and his point about what you're passionate in versus what you're good at, you know, look, business is the pursuit of profit. And so you have to make sure that your business is financially viable. And I think that's a lost lesson on entrepreneurs today. There's so much checking the box of what, you know, you, what people think they need to do. But at the end of the day, is the revenue there? You've got to have a business that's going to support your life. And I fortunately, I did. I had a business that supported my life and allowed me to keep going with the business. And wow. We, you know, we talked about earlier with Bill and now here with small businesses that there became, you know, when I became an entrepreneur in 1992 and everybody laughed at me, made fun of me and scoffed <laughs> at me. The one thing that Mike and I have in common is that he was an actor and mm. I was an entrepreneur. And basically if we were going out together at night, people would look at us and say, you know, what diner do you work at? <laughs> um but that's great but, but we romanticized you know uh and i've been you know just blessed with that new moniker of romanticizing an entrepreneur with the david melter mm -hmm. gary v's and ed Milets of the world where you walk around if somebody would have told me that some kid would want my picture mm -hmm. uh, because i'm an entrepreneur i i would you know 30 years ago are you kidding me i was like in what world, first of all, can you take a picture with a phone? And second of all, <laughs> uh, why would anyone ever want to take a picture and get an autograph from me? But I think it works against the small business owner today because we get the same problem that I had as I ran the Notable Sports Agency is everybody wants to work in sports, but they have no idea what they're talking about. They're not more interested than interesting. And you said something that I teach daily. The key to being a successful small business owner is staying in business. Because if you can stay in business, eventually you'll figure it out. Some people figure it out faster than others. Yep. And that's determined on their skill, their knowledge and desire. And maybe a little bit of what I call karma, coincidence. But sooner or later, I've never seen a business that stayed in business that didn't become successful. Some took 100 years. <laughs> Some took 100 days. But how do we reinforce this idea of, how to stay in business before you start worrying about raising six million dollars or being a unicorn i'm so glad that you said that here i'll give you i'll give you a sports analogy you seem to like sports analogies i'll give you a sports <laughs> analogy there's this great movie i'm sure everyone has seen it moneyball right they're sitting around the table and brad pitt's character billy is asking everybody at the table what problem are you solving what problem are you solving 
no one at the table knows what problem they're solving. And what he he points out to them is they're trying to solve the same problem that the New York Yankees are trying to solve with their huge budget and all of their, their influence and power to attract the best players. And meanwhile, here you have the A's who, who don't have even a fraction of what the Yankees have. And yet they're trying to go after the win the same way that the Yankees are. I think the problem we have right now for small business is that you get these folks who come into small business. And let's say they look at somebody like Gary V, right? With, you know, what, a 203? I don't even know where he is anymore. The numbers are so big. He's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees. Thousands. He has this, um, was, yeah, thousands. Uh, omnipresence on the internet. He's everywhere. And he has an army behind him, a budget behind him to make that happen. And they think the way to grow their business is to try to play the Gary V way, the Yankees way. And they're not even the Oakland A's. They're like down in like AAA, right? And yeah. so we're, you know, you see this out there and it does such a disservice because you're not going to stay in business if you try to play like the Yankees and your little league. And so you got to go watch that scene from that movie because you're playing the wrong game when you come in. And so that's... That for me, David, is is one of our biggest messages to folks is understand where you are, play the game for where you are, not somebody else's game. But we have so much comparisonitis nowadays, it's just nuts. Um, so that's my that's my lecture on that. No, no, I, I have to interject. Sorry, Mikey, to cut you off, but I, <laughs> I, ha I have to touch on this because number one, drop the mic, uh, and for a variety of reasons, that content right there. If you don't go back and watch that, it's so essential. I, you know, even in this place that I'm at with as many resources I have, um, I catch myself, you know, thieving my joy by comparing myself uh, to some of my friends and associates and, and counterparts. Um, and it was funny because in sports, I, I was very good at not doing that and probably because of the obvious difference in capability. And I think some people aren't honest with themselves with their honest capabilities. And sometimes I have to be honest to myself with my capabilities compared to, you know, my mentor, co-mentor and friend, Gary, right? I have to, I find myself going, oh, I should be on that stage or I should. And meanwhile, I do, even in the position I'm in, create that radical humility of knowing where I'm at in uh, whether it's double A, triple A, or, you know, just starting in the major leagues, not being an all-star, whatever level it is, you, you have to continue to strive for more, but comparison will uh, be the theme. I also want to commend you because you're probably the last person that I thought would give a Billy Bean analogy and <laughs> and have it so so I mean incredibly be on point. And I've never heard that. And uh, I apologize now if I utilize that analogy because it's so amazing uh, to be able to see how you know we compete against the Yankees when you know we're still maybe even Little League. And I see. Yeah. People in Little League want to compete against the Yankees. Yeah. And instead of seeing the obvious, they lie to themselves and end up going out of business. Correct. Uh, Mikey, we have time for one quick question. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you think the biggest mistake people make, because going back to what you're saying, is that they're not resourceful with what they have in the moment. And they're too busy looking outside of everyone else's, what they're doing, comparing, that they don't just sit in the moment going, okay, what do I want? How can I bring value to other people? But what do they have right now in my power, in my budget to move forward? Do you think that's a, that's where people get stuck? 
I think it's part of it. I think every business problem can be solved with a $5 calculator, or I guess now you don't even need that because you have your phone in your hand. Um, but when you look at the cost of acquisition, you know, it's a math problem. You, It's not just your resources. It's let's say you launch something and you need 2000 prospects in order to even, you know, hit say a hundred sales, but you're selling something that's $500, but it costs you, you know, whatever, $167, I think is some of the latest numbers on Facebook ads to do it. You, you know, you're in, you're in the red. You haven't, you haven't done the math. It's one of the reasons that, that we like higher end clients, because I'd rather you use a little bit of elbow grease and close that, you know, 300, 400 person company down the street for say $50,000 and give yourself some cushion on that before you start, you know, trying to scale up. So it's not just, I think Mike, to your point, it is the resources, but it's also the math and the timeline. And it's really just back of the napkin you know, calculations here. And, and, you know, it's, it isn't a, you know, there aren't unicorns for, you know, like, yeah, we call the billion dollar companies unicorns, but let's just start with some basic math of business to David's point. You've got to stay in business. You're not going to stay in business if you're stepping over the dollars just to get to the dimes. Meanwhile, you're bleeding cash out on digital marketing strategies. The last thing I'll say here, I know you guys have to go is I was just talking to the head of a very successful digital marketing agency earlier this week. And he literally said to me, we barely do any digital marketing ourselves because we understand the math on it. So I just, I, you know, I think that people need to really pay attention uh, to the math. That's, that's the bottom line. Always. And uh, we appreciate you. And unfortunately, we have to stay and we have to let you go because you're such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, check, check out boldhouse.com. Please, Angelique, join me uh, for more of the shows, for more of that great insight. And thank you for being such a fierce champion for uh, the people who I believe will save the world. And uh, you yourself will start knitting the cape right now. Thank you for being such a hero. We appreciate you. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Come join us again. Wow. We're awesome. two for two. I'm looking forward to John. This is one of those days that we got a, a serious lineup here. Um, <laughs> How you doing, guys? Is the founder of Glencrest hey. Global, and uh, he's going to be talking about paid training, uh, which you know, over the last ten years has uh, changed, evolved, and I think also is a key important factor in how we scale a business, uh, in particular, retain clients and attract them, uh, retain employees and attract them, uh, which I consider employees, clients, John. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. And by the way, I, lo I loved her uh, Moneyball reference as well. I, that's one of my favorite movies. I, I try to work that. I, I try to work that analogy in every chance I can get. And uh, so, so gr good for her. Yeah, that was pretty good. And uh, you know, it's so interesting this idea of paid trading. What your yeah. books in this 10, 10th year, the anniversary is coming up, or yeah, that's right, that's right. So in 2011, I, I wrote this book called uh, Paid Training, and, and the concept is is relatively simple. It's it's about taking a a different route in entrepreneurship instead of instead of um you know the the mantra of try and fail try and fail it's okay if you fail it's okay if you fail do the route i took where i worked in corporate america i learned the trade i got paid for it grew grew uh went up that corporate ladder then decided to pull the plug and say you know what i could do this better on my own i've got an arsenal of of knowledge now behind me and the resources to do it 
and then went on my own and and, and took on cor corporate America um, with uh, going after the very same kind of clients, um, you know, against against much larger, uh, publicly traded, more established companies. So so the 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 idea when I wrote that book, I just started the company in two thousand five. And I wrote that book in 2011. So I was, I was very happy for myself, you know, okay, this is, you know, gosh, I got to get this message out here because everyone, every, I, I follow people like you, David, and I've been reading books like, you know, that would be in this realm really my whole life. And, um, you know, no one's really saying that message. Everyone's saying, you know, kind of the Mark Cuban approach. That's okay. Live in the back of your car, eat ramen noodles. All right. Here, here's a, here's a different approach guys, you know, go get paid six figures learn all this stuff. You're going to learn more. Don't live in the back of your car, learn this stuff, then go out and, and start your company and, and give yourself a really substantial raise for really doing the exact same job. And, 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 and that's what I did. It doesn't work in every industry, but it works in a lot of them. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that, uh, you know, I'm pushing entrepreneurship uh, because not only, you know, I started my career in the same way. It was a millionaire nine months out of law school by working for a big corporation, went through an exit of 3.4 billion in 95, Yep. You know, these types of things are not occurring in the backseat of your car eating ramen. Although I was willing to do that, I took that attitude into yep. the big company. But yep. what wasn't available that is today that makes the paid training model even better is the freedom. Yep. You, you, you know, like, man, I, I, I was a prisoner. I was in a, a phase of accumulation. If they told me I had to be in, in Miami, you know, no matter what was going on in my personal life, I had to be in Miami. Right. You know, I, I wasn't able to, you know be able to work at home and balance my own time. And if I wanted to work at two in the morning, I could do that. If I wanted to work at two in the afternoon, if I wanted to play golf and make up for it in the night, these yep. things are available today and you can make six or even seven figures. Right. And I think the other thing that we benefited from is the relationships. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you build, you, they've paid for those relationships sometimes over a hundred years and you walk right in with credibility and, and you build your business sometimes off of those relationships. That, 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 that's an, a, a great point and another, another use of, uh, of the word relationship too. As a business owner, for, for me at least, I've become closer to, to my clients and my former clients than probably I ever would have as an employee. In fact, right now, I'm, I'm on the board of trustees for this college out here um, in, in, in Indiana and I'm in town for this and I knew I had this podcast. The former CFO of the university I used to work with, hey, come stay with us. Use our Wi-Fi. It'll be better than the hotels. I'm, I'm literally in a former client's house right now. So to your, to your point, this is, this is awesome. And by I the way, it. I love Indiana, right, by this, the way. This is Jody and Jeff's house. Very nice, nice home. Anyhow. John, do you think the biggest problem is, I love what you said, that people, yeah. people want to take shortcuts. Yeah. Like, and like everyone's looking for this magic bullet. Like I do interventions, but I had to lay on detox floors for the first five years because no one was prepared to get people sober. And then like, oh, you get all these big clients. I'm like, do you know the dues I paid to get the clients? So when you're working, because it's a great book, paid trading and, and pay the dues and people want to take their shortcuts because they're watching all this technology, crypto making billions of dollars here and that, but they're not prepared to slow down and take a job and build their network and do the work. So when you're working with someone, how do you reframe their perspective to get them present and say, stop, in yeah. racing don't be yeah. in a hurry right now slow down what do you do that's a great that's a great uh, a great question and and here's here's what i would say to that person i would say okay you got to figure out if you're really trying to build a company where you could perhaps build generational wealth for your family or give yourself the freedom to retire in your in your 40s like like i did okay 
are, are, are you looking for that? Or are you looking for a glorified side hustle? Because a glorified side hustle, any of us could do. Run out on the street right now. Start that painting business. Go hustle a few, you know, get a realtor brokerage license without learning the trade and expect other realtors to come under you. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not going to happen. It's not, it's, it's not going to grow into that. Um, so that, that, that would be my advice to that, that, that type of, of a question. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, though, what's, what's interesting is it just happens to be the 10-year anniversary. And David, you were, you were it was very fortunate to ask me to be on your show. I said, okay, what do I have going on right now? Well, it is the 10-year anniversary of my book. But what I'm really contemplating is since I've written that book in 2011, a lot's happened over the last 10 years. And, and one of the things I'm really looking very closely at is, is a revised addition to the book which involves um, really a, 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 an additional section, which involves selling your company. Um, I had a situation, I, I, yours is a little bit different, David, but, but um, where, where private equity players came in, bought the company, um, made me work for that company for, a fi for five years after that point of sale, and uh, ended up being a huge blessing in disguise for me because they made me take a, a big percentage of the deal in stock at that company. Well, timing's everything. There was two more exits and a recapitalization during a four and a half year period. So I ended up really selling the same, really essentially a block of business once it becomes becomes part of that three different times with, with, without changing anything. And, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you start getting into this venture capital and private equity types of conversations, the learning curves like this, you know, I, I mean, I, you go from knowing nothing to knowing everything and you have that kind of aha moment. Oh, I get it. I get, I get, I get now why, why this private equity thing is so popular. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I was it's like asset-based lending, right? It, it, yeah. you, all of a sudden the lights come on and say, wow, this is a lot easier than uh, 12 hours a day, six days a week, uh, you know, ha having and building. Now this is the way that we get paid uh, yeah. and you created your own, uh, Glencrest Global in 2020 during COVID, uh, yeah. your own venture firm once you learn the game. And I, I love the fact that your entire strategy of your career mm. is to enter into a job originally, mm. learn as much as you can, leverage it, <laughs> go to the next thing. And you've been in so many different industries, insurance, event planning, real estate, food. Right. You're perfect for the venture world because you have an a, a unique perspective of what makes businesses successful and the value of those businesses. Um, but was, what was it in the equity side that you decided to take the ultimate leap was create your own venture firm? So, th yeah, thanks for asking that. So, so my, my contract ended at the company that, that had bought mine. And like I said, ownership changed two additional times after the point of sale. So, so I had been exposed to different private equity firms and their models and, um, just had a kind of an inside peek on, on how that world works that, that I wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, we decided to part ways at the end of that contract. It didn't really make any sense for either, either side to, to continue working there at that point. I fulfilled my obligation. So I decided, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be 42 years old and I'm going to retire and, uh, do that. And that lasted maybe like four months. I'm like, you know what? I, I've gone to the Bahamas twice. I've gone to Vegas three times. This is this is not productive. I, I have kids at home that I'm raising. Like, we 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 got to do we got to get something going here. So so um, I had started angel investing and then really just decided to um, take some of my knowledge that I learned in that private equity space um, and start doing what I call early stage and mid stage venture capital. 
Um, really pretty cool. Really pretty cool. I, I kind of, with some of my contacts, I got immediately exposed to, to some higher profile deals. Um, you know, I was invited to, to participate. The Newport Beach uh, Marriott, you guys might be familiar with, it was an off an off market sale that uh, just because of people I knew asked me to participate in that. And, you know, it's 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 really accelerated over the last really year and a half. So I'm, I'm excited to be where I'm at. Great property across from Pelican Hill. We're right around the block from us. So that's right. Uh, that is a great deal. Um, and by the way, that's why I brought it up. I knew you were in that area. Wait, <laughs> yeah. wait till you see the renovations in January, by the way. You might, you might, I, you might I, use I, there. I can't, I can't wait to use my bond, my bond boy there. So yeah. I, I like the staycations uh, and uh, it has the same view as Pelican. So that's amazing. Um, that's right. la, la, last question. Uh, yeah. Mike, did you have a, a question real quick? The last one? I was going to say, what's your next book? Yeah. The revised model. What's the next book? Because you got so much experience in the field. You're so successful. And I know you can bring so much value to other people. So I know you're going to do a revised for paid training. But what's the next book? I got to tell you, man, you, you know, it's it's funny. When I when I did paid training, I never felt because I was still growing my company. My company was called Northwest Comprehensive at the time. I was still growing the company. I kind of did a little PR around it and people knew about it. But 2011, social media really wasn't the same as it is now quite, quite as much. And I didn't really want my clients to know I was doing this stuff. You know what I mean? So I never really fully, I didn't hide from it, but I didn't really put it in their face either because I was there to serve the client. I was never there to be the big shot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the cool one. The client's the cool one in the room. You know what I mean? So I, I never really promoted that book to the to the extent that I wanted to. Um, so, so to answer your question, I've really been contemplating putting putting that revised version together which includes um what's happened since then and, and the book's not about me by the way but i use my experience to to, to guide um either that or, or um the the other idea that i'm that i'm contemplating is you know like a a 20-year a, a, a plan which would include that paid training piece but okay if you know if, if things go perfectly for you and timing's everything you know, what's that 20 year plan from 22 to 42 to, to potentially retire? I, I love that. Yeah, we got to teach people to think long. Everybody's mm -hmm. so focused on thinking, you know, working hard, working smart. I tell people better off work long. We talked about that in the previous one about mm -hmm. staying in business. Uh, John, thank you so much for all these. Guys. We look forward to doing more. Hey, if you're in India, I get I get there a lot. We have a few homes there and my daughter yeah. goes to IU. I don't know if you've been to Shapiro's Deli in, in Indy, but it's my favorite deli in the country, ironically, in Indianapolis. Who would ever imagine? Really? That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm actually up a little bit north in Angola. but uh, Oh, Indiana. nice. I know yeah. where you are now. Do you know? Okay. Yeah. Cool. cool. Very cool. cool. Well, awesome. thanks for joining us. Let's do more together. Uh, yeah. Incredible insight. Check him out, glencrestglobal.com. An incredible entrepreneur and teacher. Thank you so much. Check out paid training. Yeah. This has uh, been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And I'm also doing an on my Instagram. I'm posting uh, different entrepreneurial on Instagram or uh, business things at, at John Sarasani. Thanks a lot, David. I appreciate it, Mike. At John Sarasani. Check him out. Thank you so much for adding that in. We'll talk right. to you soon. Thanks, guys. Right guys. Three for three, man. Pretty interesting. Is it easier? Wow. Is it easier or harder with me uh, being on the show with you? Way easier. <laughs> I mean, I like to talk to people and bounce off you. I don't. I, that's why we. We, we collaborated. It was like from the day one when I met you, so let's try and do something. And you thought, let's do more. It's like it's Mike just, and Mike. Yeah. Well, so, what's you your... know what? My takeaway is interesting. You know what? It Something hit me the other day being out in D.C. And 
having to, you know, do these interventions and detoxes and, and live with people full time. Yeah. Everyone's in this mindset. Like I remember when you told me that, um, you know, how am I a guy, middle-aged Ninja Turtle, whatever you called it, yeah, going to put videos together? Yeah. Ninja Turtle, and, yeah. And, and, and people don't th- realize that Gary Vee did a thousand episodes of Wine TV before anyone really gave a shit. So it's slow down, right? Know what you want, like you say. Make money. you got to make money. But pay your dues. There's no magic bullet. Be prepared. Life is a marathon. Anyone can sprint. Anyone can get the side hustle. But where are you going to be from 10 years from now? Do you know what I mean? Stay in the race every day because it's work that has no end. You know, and don't rush. Yeah, and that's so true in recovery, as you know. Right? It's a, a quantum. It's a quantum leap that we're taking. And I find one of the most difficult things to teach people to enjoy that right? They enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit, and they can't understand how patience and persistence reconcile with each other in order to create the fulfillment that you want. And I'm going to be training on Friday uh, about patience and persistence. And my book that I'm writing next is about reconciliation, about how do we reconcile the currencies of faith with the currency of money, with patience and persistence, with all the things that are counterintuitive uh, about how things occur, allowance uh, versus making things happen. Uh, there's a variety of things that I see as I got older that uh, I did wrong um, as well as I did right. And the lessons, I want to make sure I at least raise the awareness to the lessons so more people have that opportunity. Um, my takeaway is simple. Comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it, it was so funny, whether it was Bill, uh, obviously Angelique uh, with her analogy and John, right? We're, we're so busy always comparing ourselves and it creates void shortages and obstacles. And it's aligned with what you're mentioning, right? And, you know, if we took away, or, or I would say we can't take away comparison, but just spend minutes and moments in comparison, uh, yep. in ego-based consciousness. And it'll be a lot better place. I We talked about Gary Vee a lot, who's a friend of mine. And I catch myself... Uh, comparing myself to Gary. And I have to remind myself very quickly, I, I'm not in that league. I'm not playing the, that game. I'm, a, I'm a, in a different league. P- people like John Cesarian are following me. Uh, the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, they, they may not even be following me, but they watch me. It's a different ball game. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to be, I love Gary and I take the best of Gary to help me, but I don't want to compare myself to to him. I want to learn from him and apply what works for me and let the others fall through my fingers. So comparison is the thief of joy is mine. Your partnership and friendship is the king of joy. uh, And it brings much more to me. Just seeing your face today, you know, I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm productive, (laughs) accessible, and gracious beyond belief. I'm pushing myself to my productivity limit. Um, and you know, it, it's fun to be a l- couple times to have to snap at people because, you know, I, I can't handle what I've taken on and I, and I get a little snappy and, uh, you know, it's fun to see like, Hey, at least I'm pushing myself. I- I'm not sitting back because I can be so productive that, you know, four episodes in a day, isn't enough. I have to do five podcasts on top of it and still do coaching calls and still spend time with my family. And, 
yeah, you know what? I'm in the anxiety zone uh, part of the day. And it's nice to know, though, that uh, once again, when you think you're, you put on too much, you're only 40% of the way there. And I'm sure 10 years from now, I'll look back when I'm doing 10 episodes a day and 10 <laughs> podcasts going, oh, what a piece of cake that was back in 2021. Tomorrow's 11-11. It's a lucky day for me. I'm born on 1-11 and you're a lucky friend. You are blessings. You're all ones in my book. That's Mikey Diamond. Diamond Love and you, baby. Diamond Life Fuel. I'll get you. Make sure you get my address. Send me out some your fuel, buddy. I need it. Fuel for life. Keep you going. Love you, mate. I love you, man. Thank you. All right, everyone. I got a speech for Junior Achievement coming up next. Then I got four episodes and four podcasts today, coaching calls and family time, a little dinner tonight to celebrate with the co-host that I have, Jason Waller, the big baller, and Rory Kataya, the CEO of Verb. We're making our show the first shoppable show on Bloomberg and Amazon. You can shop via Verb, V-E-R-B. So check that out. But most importantly, everyone, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks.